The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you live from Salem, New Hampshire, and happy 420. Yeah, what does that mean, 420? It's a big day for weed. I don't know. That's I took a joint to the bench with Vital. Scott goes, you should bring a joint and smoke it on the podcast. April but we're 20th. April New 20th. Hampshire, and it's a whole to-do. And it's also... Wim Hof's birthday. That's true. This is actually interesting. This the is interesting. Man. So we wanted to do resilience today. So we're going to do the brilliance of resilience, but we're going to tie in Wim, and it happens to be his birthday. He's 63. But first, we're going to do the quirky tip of the day. We'll get into all the Wim and resilient crap later. Um, our quirky tip of the day, we were driving, what was it, yesterday in Elliot? Yes. And the, do- the car was like turning a corner, not very fast or anything else, but there was a dog like hanging out of it. And you said the dog like kind of stumbled or something happened. He was in the back seat. The window was completely down. He had his paws on the edge of the door, you know, where the window goes down. And as the lady turned and he was on the outside of the turn, he lost his paw grip. So he kind of slid and then he had to yeah. sa- save so himself and I back, missed back it, in. But our quirky tip is... It's getting warmer. Well, in some parts, it's always warm. But in this part of the country, it's starting to finally get warmer and feel springy. So if you let your dog out the window, do not let your dog fully hang out the window. Like a little bit of nose, a few inches is fine. But a lot of injuries occur this way. And we looked up some stats. You can't really find stats, but you were able to pull up videos left and right. Yeah, if you put in, you know, a dog falling out of car window as a phrase (laughs) in Google and then hit the video search... There was like a, a dozen immediately that came up of dogs falling out yeah. of the back cars. And, it's, and it's what's even dangerous. uglier than that is when the people have the dog, their leash tied inside the car to the supposedly like keep them from falling out. And they fall out and then they're hanging off the side yeah. of the door for hopefully not very long, but yeah. certainly that would they would kill them. A lot of injuries this way. Watch your protocols with this. I know dogs like to stick their head out to the window. Jeannie, if you're watching, one of my friends wrote me about this months ago. She's like, this is a huge pet peeve of mine. It's a pet peeve of ours to keep your dog safe as the weather gets warmer. And I will say, just to close on that, uh, if your dog, you know, a lot of people have the window half open so the dog can get his head out. If they see something, if they're a drivey dog, they see another dog and they're dog reactive or they see a squirrel or something, they can squirm out over the top of a half yeah, open window easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. So, so keep that freaking window Keep your dog safe up. in the car is not a problem. All right. So we're talking about resilience. Easter, we started our ice showers. This is a new journey for us. Yeah. We decided <laughs> uh, we don't have enough problems. So. Our life is too easy. <laughs> Uh, so we're creating adversity. We've built up such <laughs> resilience to extreme financial debt. It doesn't even bother <laughs> us anymore. So we're like, what, what can we do to put some pressure on ourselves? <laughs> we decided to get in the shower and just turn the ice cold water on and have to endure that. Yeah. So and, we've uh, been doing this now since Sunday. We ordered um, an outdoor thing, um, but this got us thinking about resilience and everything else. And Scott can talk to you a little bit more about the Wim Hof stuff. And we're going to turn this... Totally over to dogs, but this is an important topic for us because I feel like Scott and I, particularly as individuals and especially as a couple, we are constantly tempering ourselves. We're constantly trying to build our resistance. Part of the science or the reasoning behind this is, of course, your immune system. It's supposed to strengthen your immune system. You're putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation, so you're working through that. But it's also supposed to be good, like clearing childhood trauma and everything else. A lot of these 
influencers are doing this now. Tony Robbins literally like lays in an ice bath every morning when he gets up. And Wim's doing a super cool thing today at one. What is he yeah, doing? He's turning 63. So he's going to do a 63-minute live ice bath on YouTube. So that'll be right when this podcast <laughs> ends or a half hour after. And you after. can communicate with Go him and YouTube, everything else. Yeah, and he'll be yeah. in there freezing himself. Yeah, so he's he's like the master of it. He started with all of this. He's gone through a lot of trauma himself. There, The first day we did it, I was a little worried about Scott because I we're there like timing each other, and that's why we're getting the outdoor tank so we can like not have to just like endure the shower nonsense all the time. But the first day we did it, Scott took a hot shower and then it went cold. And he was like, kind of like, I'm like, are you going to be okay? So we do this breathing now before we do the Wim Hof breathing and we're going to meditate. I'm going to meditate in a bikini. Then we're going to go right out and do this every morning. We'll take some video when we get our tank. But this is our new thing. Um, We share with you a lot of our crazy things that we do. But we also want to bring this into resilience in dogs because sometimes... It seems like the dogs who may be less resilient maybe have humans that maybe shy away from the resilience. And we know that like people have gone through a lot of things and everything else. But the more that we temper our dogs, the stronger they are and the better they are as companions and everything else. Sure. And the other thing that people um, tend to do the opposite. A lot, I tell people all the time, a lot of raising a dog and working with a dog is counterintuitive to what our natural response is. You know, our natural response is to want to protect the dog, make them feel safe and all these different things. And quite often what we're doing is making them actually weaker, yeah. you know, by doing that. And um, So what does a resilient dog look like to you? Well, we it, didn't flesh this it, out resi- at all, so enjoy. Resilience is the ability of the animal or human to overcome adversity uh, in a healthy way, to be able to deal with some extreme situation, whatever that may be for that person, and bounce back. Yeah. And just say, wow, that really sucked. But yeah. they got through it. They when weren't I, overly traumatized where they're, you know, under a blanket for six months because someone told them that their kid was ugly. Yeah. Well, as and, an example. And I was thinking of it may, maybe more in terms of like, kind of Scott touched on this, but just stability. Like a dog is able to go into various environments and they're just kind of neutral. Like to me, that's resilience in itself. Obviously something shaking in a corner is going to look less resilient. And we understand that a lot of these dogs have had, you know, bad past traumas and we don't know what's happened in their past homes and everything else. But part of it is to strengthen them, temper them and get them so they can deal with stuff. It's better for their immune systems. It's better for their lives overall. They really do not do well with this like constant catering, constant coddling, constant, you know, here's a new fluffy bed. Here's this, let's do this. And the dogs, we see it just day in, day out, right? And we get dogs left and right that have had traumatic pasts. We just did a case study podcast with a really anxious dog named Daisy uh, last month, I think it was. We see dogs that have extreme, extreme, extreme responses to control or um, crates or whatever you want to call it. But if you just let the dog keep working through it, dogs get better. We get dogs on the other side of things left and right. Like we see it day in, day out. So for instance, if you tether a dog in, you know, your living room or your kitchen or whatever, maybe the dog, because it can't move at first is a little bit restricted. You just have a dog on a tether, you're watching them, they're tied to a door. They might be shaking. They might be nervous. If you keep doing that every day for two weeks, the dog starts to ease into that. That response starts to drop off. What happens is when we see a dog that may look nervous or afraid or unsure, whatever's going through their mind, 
people want to rush in. Owners want to rush in and, oh, he doesn't look comfortable. And, oh, let me do this. Or a dog that refuses to eat. Maybe then they don't eat a piece of kibble. You pull out a piece of salmon. Then they eat that. They're starting to learn these different ways that gets the pressure to be taken off. And to me, even tethering a dog to a door isn't necessarily pressure. It's just putting a dog in a situation it's not comfortable with. But I'm telling you, if you work through these certain things and you get the dogs over the curve, they become more resilient on the other side. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it in the past when, when I talk about pressure on, pressure off. Yeah. Uh, you're building a resiliency in the dog uh, by adding some stress in a controlled way and taking it off so that they can then feel as, okay, that wasn't that bad, uh, helping them work through different fearful situations. And it's a philosophy. I mean, not all dog trainers and dog people feel this way, but we have seen it with working with thousands of dogs at this point, yeah. just the two of us. Yeah that it works and it works quickly. And it's similar to this ice bath thing where the first time you get good into an ice, an ice cold shower, it's like shocking to the system. I mean, you're like, holy shit. You know, I mean, it's like, just, ah! I'm like, oh, you know, I mean, it, and it's a mental, it's a yeah. mental game. You need to get your head in the right place and deal with that, you know? And it's the same with dogs where the first time you start putting control on a dog that maybe is two or three years old that has never had control put on them, they resist. They start feeling all freaked out about what's going on here. But by making them work through some things where they get to the other side of it and realize, oh, it wasn't that bad, they're more likely to work with you again and again and again until it just becomes normal. Yeah, and like for some specific examples. So I would say a common thing is sometimes dogs are fearful of trucks, right? Large trucks. And just where we live in Elliott, it seems to be that we have like some major like big trucks driving by at least once a a walk when we take a pet dog for a walk. Well, an Amazon truck is always An Amazon truck, but even like there's some of those heavier trucks, like the dumpier trucks. I don't know. There's bigger trucks on our road. So that's a thing that the dogs are frequently seeing. We know that that's a trigger for them. So what most people are some people's thought processes or first responses is like, oh my God, get the dog away from the truck. Like rush off the road, pick the dog up, whatever else. If we simply keep walking or we ask the dog to sit and see if the dog can hold a sit or something else, that extreme response to the truck starts to improve pretty quickly only because we didn't make it a mountain out of a molehill, if you will. Like, yes, the truck was stressful, but the truck went past you, you lived, we're still walking and we're going to continue on. Sometimes when the dogs have this response of like, oh my gosh, I heard something that scared me. And then they run into the house and they don't have to deal with it anymore that's not necessarily helping them work through that. And their fear is actually growing. And we've seen this. The fear grows if they're able to let their bodies control them and always respond to the fear in that way. And we pretty quickly, in a situation like a large truck, see that the dogs, at first, yes, they're scared. Maybe they shy away or something else. But if you just keep walking or you just let them deal and they keep seeing it and they know that you know, you're going to protect them, they get better very, very, very quickly. So that's more of a specific thing that Scott's kind of touching on. Yeah. And if you don't work them through all of these, well, these issues as they arise, uh, your dog's world, I tell everyone, the, the dog's world gets smaller and smaller because if you're going to shy away from situations where there may be trucks, you're going to shy away from situations where maybe they're afraid of uh, groups of people or <clears throat> if they have uh, issues with other dogs, so you never take them around to any area where there may be other dogs, pretty soon you're doing nothing with the dog. You're just taking them out to pee bringing them back in the house and keeping them in their little cocoon of safety. Yeah. And they're just, and then even that becomes traumatic for them. Yeah. Everything is traumatic. The more that we pile on, um, 
coddling and comfort in a certain degree, sometimes the more debilitated we see these dogs become. And we're not trying to say this rudely. We're not trying to say this to put anyone down. We're not trying to put ourselves in a platform that we're looking down upon other people and we're better than you. We've gone through plenty of shit. Scott and I in our lives have plenty of our own trauma and plenty of our own things that we have dealt with. And we try to get better. We try to find tools and ways to make ourselves better, to make us better for our professional, you know, clients to make us better for the dogs that we work with, for our own family, for our own inner circle. Like we keep finding different tools that help us. And we've gone through a myriad of things. And this ice bath thing is just a brand new thing, but it does, it is just simply resilience. If you, and Scott was saying, it's funny, like if you're sitting there and you feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I have, I just lost my job and I don't have a lot of money and I have nothing to do. This is a very like cheap way to just go and temper yourself a little bit. Like you stand in a cold shower for five seconds, get out. The next day you do 10 seconds. When we get the outdoor tank, our goal is to do a minute each day and we want to get up to two minutes each day and we'll just keep doing that. That will be part of our routine and we'll see what kind of benefits we get from that and everything else. And this is something similar to what we see with what you can do with your dogs. And it's not that, you know, okay, your dog is afraid of something, so bring them where there's a hundred of something, right? Like your dog hates kids, so you bring the kids to preschool. We're not saying that. But don't shy away from things that your dog may be scared of. Those doors that open like at Petco or whatever, the automatic doors, sometimes people see that as a trigger. So then they start to avoid these things. Like, no, when you see a trigger, see that there's a trigger and then think, okay, what is my plan going to be to get my dog to overcome this, to work through this, to become more resilient in the face of this trigger so fear isn't controlling our dogs. Because we're kind of in a little bit of a way becoming a nation where fear controls us. And I understand that there's a lot going on in the world, but if we're just constantly taking action based on fear and these fear tactics and everything else, and then we see our dogs doing the same thing, the resilience is lacking. That's just the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, when we're working with our dogs and with client dogs, uh, ideally we have control of the triggers. So we're not walking into a situation that we can't control and then trying to work with a dog that is having a lot of fear response and all that stuff. It's nice when we can uh, introduce or work dogs through search, certain situations in a controlled way yeah. and then make it bigger. And like a door, you know, these automatic doors at a Petco, that is something that we can control because we can, we know what's going to happen. We know that door is going to open rather than a dog that maybe gets reactive when, when another dog runs up in its face and we can't control the other dog. You know, that's a situation that uh, would be a different yeah. Different approach. Controlled, you know? controlled approaches, but not just shying away from it. All right, we're going to go to break. And when we get back, I'm going to talk to you about a dog we have in that kind of relates to some of this also. Does your dog lack self-control? Are you looking for some answers? Would you like your dog to be calmer? Does your dog lack confidence? Canine Mind Shift. Enroll in a free course today. Simply go to caninemindshift.com. That's caninemindshift.com. All right, we're back. So I want to bring up a dog that we have in right now. We may do a podcast um, on this dog later. I'm not sure. But there's a dog that was going to a local vet, and the owner called because the dog couldn't get an exam until the dog was a year old because it didn't get to his, like, baseline comfort level in the vet's office. 
So, and then at the, when the dog was a year old, they just had to fully medicate the dog so the dog could work through the handling and everything else. And honestly, if I was a parent, I'm not a biological parent. I've been, you know, a step-parent type of role to Scott's three children for a decade now. But if I was a biological parent and I was bringing my baby into the pediatrician and it couldn't get examined, I'd be freaking pissed is the bottom line. So, like, it's concerning to me that this is even happening and this is even out there. This dog is quite normal, I would say. The dog does, well, it, it they responds wanted, like a normal dog. They wanted to do a board and train with me, and I told them I wouldn't take the dog unless it was off the psychiatric medications. We, Jess and I just made that commitment to ourselves and that we're not going to take dogs in that are heavily medicated to then try and do some obedience training with them. We want to see what the dog is like, it, you know, without any med- medication in its body and, and just see what the real dog is, you know? So... They went, they said, okay. And um, when they told the vet, they had to taper off of this medication. The vet was upset with them and told them, you shouldn't take the dog off medication. You shouldn't do this type of dog training. Uh, They had to actually find a new vet. They had to leave this vet and go to a new vet because they were so hung up on the the ethics of how to train a dog, which is, in my opinion, not the vet's business about how to train dogs. Their, Their job is to work with the with the body, not the mind of the dog. Yeah. And And you need to think about resilience in terms of the handling and everything too, right? So there's just a certain degree of like, I don't like everything that happens. Like you're a female, you get a pap smear, Scott gets colonoscopies for his age. Like sometimes at the doctor, we don't always enjoy what happens and we're in uncomfortable situations. I hate a strep test. That's a little less graphic than my first two examples. I I hate that gag reflex. I'm not good at that. Colonoscopy. colonoscopy. Don't start with talking like a crazy person. So literally, not that you (laughs) aren't a crazy person. I I have known you long enough. I don't have to, my imagination goes there. So literally, you guys, like there are things that happen that we as humans don't like, our children don't like when they go to the doctor. Like there's things that necessarily aren't comfortable. Sometimes I quick a dog if I cut their nails. I'm sure that that caused a little bit of, you know, pain and everything else. Just because there's a little bit of adversity doesn't mean the dog can't work through it. And when the dog does work through it, they're stronger for it. And not only that, but they're actually getting examined by a medical professional and they can rule out if the dog has some sort of extreme condition or some sort of heart issue or something big going on. Like that's important. Just being able to get your dog some doctoring is pretty important, at least to us. Yeah. And this dog that we brought up that we have in for training right now, as an example, um, has done really well. I mean, the dog had a lot of reactivity in the house. It sounded like it was going to kill anybody that came near the house. The people didn't know how to deal with that. And that's why they called us. And uh, we're going to help them with that when we, we love her get she's, but she's, she's one of my favorite dogs we i've even, done in a long time <laughs> we brought her over we had a third party come in and just do like a physical exam touching the dog we put her up on a table to make it kind of simulate a vet's office she hadn't met this person she before wasn't, she wasn't happy about it but there wasn't any she didn't even curl her lip i mean no, there was no and by not happy maybe I, like, I was like, oh, just holding sucks. her she was kind of like oh this is strange and that's but not she unusual dealt. for yeah. dogs but she i mean dealt with it uh not a reason that i could see to be medicated you know and um and I've said this before on the podcast, my, when my firstborn, who just turned 28, had to get his uh, vaccinations when he was a little kid. He had to get some kind of shots. And he was about, I don't know, he was about four or five years old or so, and he didn't want to get the shot. And I'm in the pediatrician's office, and the nurse comes in with the needle, and he, she's like, okay, well, you know, pull your pants down, let's do it. And he's like, dad, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I'm like, well, you got to, I'm just thinking, yeah, you got to do it. You know, He's like, I'm not doing it. He wouldn't do it. And the nurse is looking at me like, you know, I got a hundred other kids to deal with. Are you going to friggin' help me out here? So I, you know, I just figure, well, I'll hold him down and she can give him the shot. And it was a struggle. I mean, it was like, 
you know, he was very strong. <laughs> uh, we got the shot in him, but I mean, it wasn't like, who knows, maybe these days they send you home with medication and tell you to bring your kid in all medicated. We don't know don't what know. happens, and we're not trying to make a satire out of this, but this is another example of resilience, truly, you guys. Like, just the basic things about basic, can I look at the foot? Can I look in the ears? Can I look in the dog's mouth? You know, th- we talked about the CGC situation. Like, these are just basic things where you can handle a dog. And when we're... We're, we've, we want to care for our dogs, right? Like we want to give our dogs the best lives possible. And Scott actually brought that up with the window. He's like, all these freaking people that love their dogs so much, that care about their dogs in all yeah, these they ways. They insist on having the dogs, that window like, open. flying out the window like onto the highway. But, you know, we, we want to give our dogs the best comforts, the best life, all of the things. We understand that we want to protect them from things that maybe we've gone through that have been traumatic, that, you know, you see in them similar responses, things that come up in their environments that are traumatic. But the more that we temper them, the more that we teach them that it's okay and we will be there to support them and they can work through these things, the better off they are. I just cannot say that enough. Like this, you know, all of this itching that the dogs are doing, all of these autoimmune issues that are coming up, there's a lot of things that are springing up that didn't even used to be a thing X amount of years ago. And yes, some of it is breeding and all of this, but we're telling you from working with hundreds of dogs a year and thousands of dogs together over the past decade that tempering dogs helps. And not only does it help the dog, it helps the owners. How frequently do our owners' confidences like rise because the dog is more resilient? Yeah, when they work through it. And if you have a puppy, I mean, this is a no-brainer. I mean, when you start, you have a puppy that's wild, you know, very spirited, has no obedience, does just wants to do what it wants to do. That's a puppy. That's a healthy, normal puppy. Well, they still need to get, you know, get a checkup and work through some things and get nail trims and get a bath and use a blow dryer. These are things a lot of puppies don't like. Yeah. But this is the time to work through it. This is the time to just suck it up and say, well, tough shit. We got to work you through this, buddy. Because now you're going to have hopefully 12, 15 years with this dog that doesn't kick and scream about going to the groomer, going to the vet, having to get, maybe it's limping. You want to look at the bottom of its paw. You want to pick that paw up, get in there really looking close to see if there's a thorn between the pads, something like that. You want to be able to do that. If you don't work through these little discomforts, then you got to medicate for everything. And the tough shit, I mean, okay, so if it's a puppy, it hates the blow dryer. You don't have to necessarily dry the entire dog, but get the dog to accept the dryer, hold the dog in such a way that the dog can't wriggle out of your arms. And then once the dog calms down, gently put the dog down and it's over. Like get the dog to know that as soon as the dog thinks, oh my God, I reacted this way to the dryer or I reacted this way to the nail clippers or I reacted this way to the faucet and then wins. And it is a win in a sense. I'm sorry. I know that that term may be controversial and a lot of the things that we're saying here are controversial, but that meant that the dog saw an aversion to something and then that was taken away. That stimulus was taken away. So when the dog realizes that that can happen, the response is even stronger the next time. They're like, holy shit, the faucet, holy shit the dryer. So when that happens and it comes up, you got a little baby puppy. All right, we're just going to do this for a second. We did it. You lived. How you feeling? Great. It's over. You're tempering the dog to this. You're building up so the dog can accept these things. And you're not just saying, oh, he doesn't like that. We can't do that. Oh, he doesn't like the crate. We're going to put this away. Because the more things you put away, the more the less the dog can do with its life. And we just see it time and time and time again. And when we're sitting there and we're seeing these people that basically have a dog that doesn't have a life. It can't really leave the home. It can, you know, barely go to the vets anymore. And these dogs are becoming more like warriors and they're actually 
acting like normal dogs and they're showing that they have a fun side and that they can be peppy and do things and wag their tails and enjoy life, that makes us feel good. And that also makes the owners feel good. And the owners want their dogs to be confident, right? Like no one wants their dog to be out with their tail tucked and, you know, freaking out about every little thing and just shaking under their legs. They want the dogs to be out and enjoy being out in the world. That's why we get dogs. We want our dogs to be happy. So the more that we show them it's going to be okay, the better things get. And just as a side note, if you live in the city and your dog has a really, really, really hard time going out in the city right now, one thing I would say and that I would recommend is get your dog in the car and go to like a park, like go to a situation that isn't as intense as the city, because especially if you get a rescue and I'm thinking like, you know, downtown Boston and everything else, because it's a very different situation living in the suburbs of Boston or in the city proper. If you have a dog that has these triggers or that never could get out of the house, go somewhere that's less stimulating and build the dog up there before you just flood the dog in. Okay, you got to pee out here and you got to do this out here and everything else. It's better that the dog leaves the house and starts to get accustomed to the outdoors than, you know, has to deal with so much at once. Because I do understand that some people who listen live in areas that there is a lot going on and it's not just one truck passing on a road in Elliott, Maine. It's like, it's craziness. I understand that. Yeah. I would say that the two um, professions that seem to really excel as clients are elementary school teachers and nurses. That's true. Those two, the nurses love protocols. They deal with protocols at work every day. So when you lay out homework for them, they're like, okay, boom, boom, boom. They're writing it down and they're just checking off the boxes. And the elementary school teachers are seeing this firsthand with their kids. Everything I'm telling them, they're like, this is exactly what I'm trying to do with my kids at school. Because the first thing I say is, you know, kindergartners don't want to sit in a chair and draw the letter A on a nice sunny day. They all want to go out and play in the playground. That's what they want to do. That's what they naturally want to do. We have to condition them to sit in the damn chair, drink some warm milk at 10 in the morning, you know, and keep doing this crap. And then... Did you have warm milk in elementary school? uh, In kindergarten, yeah. They brought us like a little, you know, the crate, milk crate. I don't think they do that anymore. And they'd, yeah, we'd wait. That milk would come at 8.30. We get to drink it at 10 when it was nice and warm, make Maybe you want to you throw up. You said medicated warm milk. I don't but know the, what used to do. I, they should have. But the point is, you know, we were conditioned to it for better or worse because that's what society in this country wants for their kids. And yeah. we all learn to deal with it, you yeah. know? Yeah, and that's interesting that Scott brings that up. And that is true. Like, those two professions normally do do pretty well. Those are also people that are extremely resilient, right? Like, teachers and nurses, especially through the pandemic and everything else, like they have to be resilient to be able to go in every freaking day and suit up and deal with the things that they're dealing with and the personalities they're dealing Crazy with and parents. everything else. Yeah, I mean, it it happens. And the fallout that maybe the lack of parenting is coming through the kids in school, like they are stepping up and showing resilience. So when you're seeing a situation or a problem or something else and you want to protect your dog from it, just think about, am I creating resilience in my dog? And I'm not saying that every dog has to act like, you know, a dog that's ready to walk into a military setup and they're just strong and they are just are tempered to every situation. Our dogs have fear. Our dogs have triggers. We know that. We introduce them in certain ways and we're very responsible with how we deal with that. But we want our dogs to be stable in pretty much any environment they go into. And 
For the most part, they are, and we know how to set them up for success in that and make them feel good in that. So please, if you're concerned because the dog stops eating because they're out of the house, they're at the pet store, or they're not eating at the vet or something else, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be at the pet store anymore. Then you just don't use food. The dog can still be out and about. Let them start to assimilate on their own terms and in their own ways rather than everything is supposed to look the exact same as it does in your kitchen in a foreign environment, because it doesn't at first necessarily, especially if you got a rescue. And yes, some of these rescues, maybe they were abused. Maybe they've had very traumatic situations in the shelter. We're not necessarily sure of the exact stories. Dogs can't journal and they can't tell us exactly what happened. A lot of times what we see is dogs have been in like five or six homes and they also have ways of getting people to back the frig off. And that's just fact. That's just bottom line fact. Like sometimes if a dog refuses something and you get out something better, they've already learned that in their past lives. Sometimes if they act like, oh, I don't really like that. And then this, the exercise goes away, they've already learned that. So realize that no matter what you're seeing out of your dog, you want to build them up. Please do not just keep catering to them to make their lives easier and softer and life is stressful. That's the bottom line. There's stress in life for humans, for dogs, for everything. And if we try to protect our dogs and our kids and ourselves from everything that's stressful, we're kind of missing out on an essential part of life. We're not building any resilience. And that's what we're talking about today. So uh, when Jess says about don't protect them all the time, I would always physically protect my dog if it was in some type of harmful, potentially harmful situation. But we're talking about emotionally uh, sheltering them from any discomfort at all. We want to help them work through it so that they, yes, they're uncomfortable and now it's over and wow, it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. You know, that's ideally what resilience is where they, they know they may never like the hair dryer. They may never like getting their nails trimmed, but they suck it up and just deal with it. That's what we're talking about because a lot of stuff that we don't like, a lot of stuff I don't like, and I deal with <laughs> Scott it. Does. You know, There's I just a long list deal, of stuff that Scott does I like. deal with a lot of stuff and, uh, <laughs> you know, power through it and- and that's kind of like, uh, you know, Jess mentioned it this morning when I was in the shower. You know, she's timing me and I'm in an ice, ice cold shower. <laughs> and uh, she, she said, you know, whenever I find something I don't like, I dive right into it. And it happened with the, the salt water the tank, tank, the yeah. float tank. I did this float tank thing, which is supposed to be, you know, just this incredible experience. And it sucked. <laughs> I didn't really like it. But the way I dealt with that was I started doing it a lot. I went, we went and bought a float tank. It's yeah. like, I'm, I'm not comfortable with this. I want to work through it. I want to be better. I want to get to the other side of this. I want to actually enjoy this experience because or I reap felt the benefits were, from an experience yeah, that may the, not be necessarily and it's the enjoyable. Same thing, it's the same thing with the ice bath. Uh, there's a lot of physical, it's documented scientifically that there's a lot of health benefits to taking this ice bath. You're building resilience in your immune system. You're building all kinds of things in your body, which, you know, I just turned 60 last month. I want to be stronger. I'm not ready to throw the towel in on my physical life and say, well, I'm an old man now. What the fuck? I'm just going to eat sweets and drink and smoke cigars until I'm dead. Yeah. I'd like to be around for another 30 years and actually be able to function physically, moving around, not needing walkers, being pushed around in a wheelchair and all that crap. Well, you better hire somebody to push you if you need some push. <laughs> oh, I got someone. <laughs> I'm all set. So temper your dogs, build resilience in your dogs, not only for them, but for yourselves. And if you want to get crazy, try the ice thing. Don't give your dogs an ice bath, even though dogs will swim in the ocean and they're probably doing this on their own half the time. But 
temper yourselves and your dogs and your family and your children, not only for us, not only for yourselves, but for the freaking world. We, there's a lot going on. We realize that. We're not taking away from any of that. But the stronger we can be individu- individually, the stronger we can be collectively. I That's agree. how I feel. I agree wholeheartedly. All and, right. Uh, and as for your adult kids that are not really getting on with their lives... Kick him out the door and say, get a friggin' job and go get an apartment, goddammit. It's not a parenting podcast. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Build your resilience. Get in the shower. Make sure it's cold. And in the meantime, keep it quirky. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.